Iced tea. Go a cappella. Now I'm on the West Coast, relaxing and chill, living on the mead streets of Beverly Hill. I have I love it. I, you way better than a lot of rappers that are making <laughs> yes! records right now. She is Olivia Munn. Drop my name as much as you can. By the way, I am a first class name dropper. The great legendary John Madden, and then on the phone, Steve Marriott. She's. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, that's the thing. You watch a guy. Uh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Who is that? Mooch, how did you sniff that out so quickly? Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining us. I'm Richard Eisen. I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. Hey, everybody, welcome to the latest edition of the Rich Eisen podcast. It is week number 15 in the National Football League 2013, and the reason why I am dating this podcast right off the top is because a lot of people don't know if they've downloaded an old edition of the show because Chris Law is messing with the opens. Hey. Chris Law. You know, it beats doing a new open, Rich. Chris so he- Brockman, it does. But my question is for you, Chris Law, what are you What are you doing? I mean, you know, I, what are you doing? Last week, uh, I thought it would be fun. It was a Tuesday, a little, you know, throwback Tuesday to the to the oldies, you know. Uh, you actually latexed it, didn't you? You put the wrong yeah, open on. on last week's show, on, and you now. are now trying to cover your tracks There's no by putting Tuesday. a second consecutive different old open on the top I, of this show. I wanted to get iced tea back in the open. Yeah, I forget. Look, we were in a rush. We were going to a screening of a movie for an upcoming guest. Had to get across. We were. Which movie? Which, which, which movie? Uh, Lone Survivor. Um, Mark with, Wahlberg, uh, Ben Foster, yeah. Peter Berg directed. Yeah. When are we getting Peter Bergen here? Uh, hopefully in the next week or two. Are we really? Yes. Okay. And uh, potentially Marcus Foster, the guy who's the really about. we can get him in here too. Uh, that would be incredible. And or maybe Mark Wahlberg on the phone. Because uh, I, I mean, we uh, I saw sixty minutes this past week with Anderson Cooper. Yeah, the story is incredible. We the saw, film we itself saw the is the Navy Seal. Remarkable. I'm sure Peter. Well, Peter Berg is just a great filmmaker. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so you saw that last week. So you you went to see a screening here in Hollywood, California, of a movie for a podcast guest that's coming up, and that's your excuse for just grabbing whatever you could grab uh, with was, your mouse on the computer. It was the quickest edit of a podcast to date. I think I put it together, in which like is great. Listen, I don't minutes. want I don't want to belittle, I don't want to belittle your hard work. Well, and I I we'll also don't that, I don't want no I don't want to belabor the point either, but. We we have to move forward here. Yeah. We don't look back at the Rich Eisen podcast. Okay. We move forward. We innovate. Okay. And what we certainly don't do is screw something up and then cover our tracks <laughs> by purposefully screwing it up the following week to make it seem like last week's screw up was an intentional throwback moment. You know, sometimes. You Am I wrong? Did you follow it. me there, Brian? I, I absolutely put all the dots together there, Rich. And here's the thing: it's two for Tuesday and throwback Thursday. Thursday. So yeah. you're right. saying it's throwback Tuesday makes no sense. No, makes but, no sense. but what that means was a, it was a this is a a two for a second Tuesday yeah. with two old opens in back to back weeks. So that's two Tuesdays worth. Of old opens. The first one was a screw up. This one was an intentional use of an old 
open to cover the tracks of last Tuesday's screw-up. None of them are happening on a throwback Thursday. Neither it's from, two okay. times the latex work. moments for okay. all this. Okay, week. so... The, when Peter Berg's sitting in that chair, you'll be thanking me, and we're talking movies, but, and then we're good. Uh, yeah, but that, uh, what does that have to do it, with the anything, open? It has nothing to do with it. <laughs> nothing. nothing. Wow. <laughs> You're really covering the tracks now, Jeez. man. Jeez. So that's why I dated the show, that it's week 15 of, of the uh, 2013 regular season. Just in case. We are getting set to go to Denver, Colorado to kick off week 15 of the season. I hope you and, got your mittens, right? And uh, finish up season, thir- uh, season 8 of uh, Thursday Night Football on NFL Network. Excellent. As the Denver Broncos come in off of a 51-point game against the Tennessee Titans in cold weather. And what did I tell you last week on this show? when people were talking about Peyton Manning not being able to perform in cold water. What did I tell you? Didn't I, I brought up the moment from two years ago on Thursday Night Football when Peyton Manning came in after a four-game skid, a personal four-game skid, and lit up the Titans and came to our set and essentially said, I may have had a four-game slump, but no one's talking about my 11-year hitting streak, saying that here's a guy who hears what is being said about him. He is a guy who takes it all in and uses it as fuel for his fire. After the loss in New England, the narrative is, as I spent narrative is he can't do it in the cold weather. And a lot of people are wondering if Denver's going to win the Super Bowl because guess where it takes place? Very cold place. For it sure. does. It does in New Jersey. So Peyton Manning... What were his numbers last week, Chris Brockman? Do you have his he was 39 of 59, Rich, for 397 yards and four touchdowns. Should be noted, the third game this season, Denver has dropped a 50-burger on an opponent. Fifth game of the year with 45 or more points for the Broncos. Mm-hmm. And, and that noise means Chris, uh, Chris Law <laughs> has set something up to his computer. Great start to the show for me. <laughs> I'm uh, about a thousand over here. Go ahead. You've got you've got what Peyton Manning said after yeah, this game. Here's correct? what Peyton Manning said after after the when game asked about the cold weather performance. Yep. Up here in the booth, it was six degrees. I'm not sure what it was down in the field, but it was pretty cold. W- were you cold? Well, uh, 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 we had some long drives. Once you get out there in the field and you kind of have those long drives, you can have some momentum. But uh, um, can we finally put to rest the cold weather thing? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to. I mean. Who, uh, whoever wrote that narrative can shove that one where the sun don't shine. You know, so I um, uh, felt pretty good out there today. And by the way, where the sun does not shine <laughs> is up somebody's ass. <laughs> right. Thanks for clarifying. Just Rich. want to make sure that yeah, everyone understands where I mean, Peyton Manning says. Maybe that phrase doesn't translate. Right. That right. was from uh, 850 KOA in Denver, the postgame show. Yeah. Just so everyone right. wonders right. where Peyton Manning says we should stick that narrative. Uh, I'm by the way, did you hear what he said? Where he was like, I'd like to, and then caught himself. <laughs> he wants to, I'm telling you, this man wants to address this. He is a Jordan, Kobe, Tiger type personality where the competitive level is superhuman. Well, two years ago, everyone wrote him off. Superhuman. And now he takes on San Diego at home in a short week. First time he's ever been on Thursday night football at home. He's always been traveling as part of the Colts the first right. um, five years of Thursday night football. We did have a Colts home game 
against Houston on Thursday Night Football two years ago, but that's when it was Dan Orlovsky doing it. Right. He was injured. Last year when Denver was on Thursday Night Football, they were at Oakland. On the road. This will be his first Thursday night game where he doesn't have to travel. Well, I look forward to your post-game segment with him. I don't know if he'll stop by. I hope he does. I'll say that right now out here. I don't. I. I mean, that's the guy from Denver everyone wants to hear from. I just don't know if he'll do that. So we're completely discounting the Chargers in that one. Yes. Well, San Diego came up with a big win against the Giants. The Giants were one of the uh, handful of teams that did not survive Survival Sunday. No. They lost in San Diego, and San Diego kept hope alive by improving to six and seven, staying one game behind two seven and six teams that are seven and six because they won by the hair of their chinny chin chins in two of the more remarkable finishes I've seen in the ten plus years at this network. And I'm referring to Baltimore's win over Minnesota in which four touchdowns were scored in the final minute and 45 seconds of the game. That was Six lead changes in the fourth quarter of Baltimore and Minnesota. A game that played in the snow. They couldn't do anything worth a lick in the first half. Snow stopped second half. They got their sea legs. Fourth quarter hit. Kaboom. Kaboom. And Joe Flacco finding Dennis Pitta in the end zone with a minute and change to go, I thought would wrap it up, right? But then Cordero Patterson runs through everybody. Vikings take the lead again. And then Flacco throws a touchdown pass with four seconds to go, and, and the Ravens win to go 7-6. and six. If they had fallen to 6-7, and seven, if they'd fallen to 6-7, and seven, they would not be in the playoff hunt uh, picture right now uh, in a in a seated position. Let's put it that way, because we're saying the Chargers are six and seven; they're in it. The yeah. Chiefs would have clinched a playoff spot because Kansas City went ahead and destroyed Washington, absolutely Thanks, wiped them out. And that was an hour and a half after ESPN had reported that game kicked off. An hour and a half after ESPN reported that Mike Shanahan was going to quit after last year's playoff run, regardless of what happened because he was so disenchanted with working for Dan Snyder. And that RG3's knee injury that occurred in the playoff loss caused him to stay because he could not, in good conscience, leave or could not, would not leave and everyone think that he was cutting and running from a, a situation where the kid that he drafted and let him play on that field in those conditions and in his condition that he would go after the ACL injury, that he cleaned out his office before the game. What is going on in Washington? We're going to ask Peter King that question on this show. What a mess. We're going to ask Peter King of the MMQB and Sunday Night Football in America. He's going to join the show he comes back on. We'll talk to him about that. But the Chiefs, with that win, they would have made the playoffs if either Miami or Baltimore had lost, and it looked like Baltimore was going to lose, and then they won in the final seconds, and then Miami, Miami, which had not won in Pittsburgh since 1990, took the lead late in the fourth quarter, tacked on three more with mere seconds to go to go up six, and then the band went out on the field <laughs> If Antonio Brown Pittsburgh. doesn't step out of bounds? Well, if Antonio Brown doesn't step out lateral? of – If he doesn't step out of bounds, they would have reviewed the play to see if the Ben Roethlisberger lateral to Brown 
yeah. had been forward or not. I would think that that was inconclusive. Right. It was kind of a Music City Miracle type. Let's put it this way. If Pittsburgh had gone ahead and taken the lead in that game in that manner with no time left, and in Heinz Field, the referee then says, after further review, we're wiping off the touchdown because that was a lateral. It's like, it's like that old... The good uh, news is the stadium was kind of empty. Uh, Ed Boucher, who, follow, who covers the uh, Pittsburgh Steelers for the Post-Gazette, tweeted out... I think it's Ed Bouchette. Bouchette, you know. That's okay if you want to go French. Re- if you want to go Boucher, French. Boucher. Well, you know, you know Pittsburgh French. Love this guy. What a hillbilly. Jeez. A <laughs> I'm just getting crushed. Anyway, uh, yeah. Highsfield with well, 15,000 uh, empty seats at kickoff on Sunday. Well, it's cold weather, and that's another thing about this week's game that was Crazy. incredible. Every game was the weather that hit the the Eastern Time Zone games in the early part of Sunday game day morning. Cincinnati, the Colts and the Bengals, three versus four. Colts three, Bengals four. That has now since been reversed because the Bengals won that game. The snowflakes were big, fat, juicy, huge snowflakes coming down at. 9 a.m. in the morning. Right. And Philadelphia just looked like a cold day. The forecast had 34 degrees and cloudy. Right. That was it. Those two situations flipped. And Baltimore, which was just supposed to be ice pellets, which was the words that we saw on the bottom line on NFL Network on Sunday morning on the scroll at the bottom of the screen, that turned into snow too. But the Philadelphia-Detroit game were big, fat, huge flakes that stuck and accumulated. It was coming down like, what, an inch every half hour or that something? Was it was crazy. That Calvin Johnson shot where he caught uh, the ball. and uh, Face mask face full of covered. snow. Awesome. So and awesome. that's the one thing I want to talk to Peter about is the hand-wringing that we have heard from the fan base about this year's Super Bowl taking place in cold weather and how it's going to be horrible. But the link was Because you packed. don't want to see a game, a Super Bowl game, played in snowy conditions. What if it snows on the Super Bowl? How many times have you heard that, right? No. Uh, How many I, times have you heard that I've, question I've on radio shows, sports radio shows? Of course. Uh, on your Twitter feeds. Absolutely. What if it snows? I mean, if it snows during the Super Bowl, yeah. what? it's going to be cold during the Super Bowl. That Lion-Eagles game, to a commenter, to every man and woman that has commented on it on Twitter or talked about it, it's been praised. Yeah. One of the greatest games we've seen in recent memory because oh. these two teams were like little children out there. I don't know. They were out there making snow angels, and they're, I loved it. they're romping in the snow. And yeah, but yeah, the kickers couldn't even kick, and you got to go for two, and you got to really open the playbook, and you got to see who's going to be – who's going to – be man enough to survive these conditions. I don't want to watch the ultimate football game of the year played in those conditions. Why not? I want the sport played at its optimum. I want those offenses running but on 100%. football is to be played in the elements. That's why we yes. love this game. You, you take a look at a yeah, baseball but, game, and you know what a huge baseball fan I am. Yeah. I'm, I love it. It's in my DNA. I love baseball. But how many times do you see a game that stopped? Oh, because it's raining it's raining who knows what might happen the ball might slip out of your hand the bat might slip 
an oblique might get strained. You know, I mean, yeah, that's don't, don't what happens I mean, see... in base. Bring out the tarp. It's raining. How can we play in the rain? Okay, so there's six we inches only of have snow a cap and a glove. on the lake, right? <laughs> and say that's the Super Bowl conditions. Do you want to see Peyton Manning, like, rendered useless? I want to see Peyton Manning absolutely dealing in perfect conditions. That's what the Super Bowl is all about. But there's always something, whether it's an injury one team has, there's always stuff you have to overcome. So whether it's just another element. Yeah, but guys couldn't Rich even said, run or cut. Like, look at Cordell. They couldn't run. Look at Sean McCoy ran for 205 yards yeah. in the fourth quarter. Because guys couldn't cut to make a tackle. Like, look at Cordell Patterson. He's, like, tiptoeing, and no one could cut to, like, square their feet and tackle him. That's why he scored. That's why the end of that Ravens game was crazy. I loved it. I thought it was great. And That's the question I want to ask. Let's put a poll question up. Yeah. Let's put a poll question okay. up. Would you want to see the Super Bowl played in the conditions that the Eagles and Lions just played? Yes or no? Simple yes or no. Okay. RichEisen.NFL.com. Let's put it up there. Let's do it. Because I don't understand why this game that is lionized for its its um, ability is not the right word, but for, for lionized for its its all weatherness, right? The only time the game gets delayed is if there's lightning in the area or a tornado that we saw, obviously, in the Ravens-Bears game earlier right. this year. Sure. But we lionize this game for it's raining, it's pouring, we're playing. It's snowing, we're playing. It's zero degrees, it feels like 20. Guess what? We're playing. That's what everyone loves about the National Football League. But heaven forbid that in the winner-take-all one game, all of that, well, that shouldn't be a fact. We shouldn't have that as a factor. But shouldn't you- have it. Played in a dome. Played in a warm weather environment. But my point is you want the teams at their best, what they do well, and you want to see that fully on display. A snow game like that renders it to like what about freezing cold? backyard What about freezing cold? Football. What about freezing cold? You can still do it It's because it's just cold. But elements I like that force that you to change. The conditions on Monday night in Chicago – were worse for people than worse. Worse. The game was a for shootout fan, for was, fans. The game was a shootout though. For fans so and for the players, negative degree with wind chill. I'll tell you who disagrees 25. with that. Josh. Josh McCown. McCown. Yeah. Holy smokes, Josh McCown. But there was no lack of offense yeah, in the Philly game. There Josh was six McCown's touchdowns. Six. How many of those were passing? Or seven touch. Eight touchdowns because there were no field goals. I thought there were field goals. Like there, the at, Dallas at Cowboys. One point, Nick by the way, was like nine for seventeen. By the way, the Dallas Cowboys became the second team since nineteen forty to not force a punt in two games in the same year. They didn't force a punt against Peyton Manning. They didn't force a punt against the Chicago Bears on Monday night. one, I think, against the Saints. Was I the only one to pick the Cowboys? And they are coming close to breaking the record everyone thought would never be broken that the Saints set last year for most most yards given up. Most yards given up in the season. Dallas' defense is in the tank in the absolute brutal tank, and Green Bay comes to pay a visit this week. Now suddenly 6-6-1. Six, six, and one Still in it. With Aaron Rodgers sitting there. And just to give you a perfect indication of how you can't judge a, a book by its cover, people are talking about how Aaron Rodgers, the Packers are being overly cautious with him, right? That the Packers, being said. you hear all these stories that the Packers uh, medical staff is very conservative, <laughs> very conservative, and I love when you hear that because that would mean there are certain medical stats in the NFL. Ah, you know what? You're a franchise quarterback with a little bit there. of collarbone issue. <laughs> <laughs> it. 
Well, didn't see that Going one coming. out there. Going out there. You know what? You're franchise quarterback. We're medical staff. We're, 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 uh, we play fast and loose with what, the MRIs. What was we're the not story? conservative. It's just like, listen, every doctor is conservative, we're certainly when it comes to Aaron Rodgers. And then the story comes out, Aaron Rodgers says on his radio show Tuesday of this week that he had pain throwing and practicing last week. Remember when he was in pads last right. Thursday? Oh, wait a minute. He's wearing the jersey. He's, he's practicing limited for the first time all injury long right. on Wednesday. Thursday, they put him in pads. Now we start thinking maybe Matt Flynn can go away, and Aaron Rodgers might be able to go against Atlanta at home. He says this Tuesday, right, that last week he had pain. He had pain, and this week he's going to try and practice for the Dallas game. And if he doesn't, if he doesn't have pain practicing, and the MRI or whatever scan comes out clear, they're going to go. They're going to go, and I think they. If 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 Aaron Rodgers feels no pain and the, and the scan looks good, throw him out there, man. There's one half game right. difference They're between them and it. the Lions right now. Exactly, and the Lions have the Ravens on Monday night this week. Big they game. could be seven and seven by the end of week fifteen, with Green Bay at seven six and one, and the Bears are in Cleveland, which Brockman, holy smokes, on top of that. Miami Steelers finish, right? And on top of that, Ravens Minnesota finish, and on top of that snow game, the way that finished and played out all day long, Cleveland went in and put the bang thing on New England, and unfortunately, literally on Rob Gronkowski, who's now out for the year. That's such a that was a sad hit to see. Well, you know what? Here, T.J. Ward, who hit him, right? Yeah, that's a legal hit. Yeah, fair hit. Yeah, a legal hit. Him saying, though, subsequently, that he had to go low on Gronkowski, not because he's a big, tall man, and that's how you cut down big, tall men in the NFL. That's how you go after these guys. That's when you see all of these tight ends do their hurdles, yeah. right? Right. You see a guy going low. Bennett, Martellus Bennett did it, it on, all the time. on Monday night. You see Jimmy Graham do it a yep. lot. Selleck does it, too. So these guys know they're coming, so they hurdle over these guys. That's how you cut. Instead, T.J. Ward says he said he had to go low because if he hit him up high, he might get fined, which is absolute BS, man. Sure, but it goes back to what Brandon Merriweather That's was talking BS. about months ago, though. Like, would you rather – these guys don't want to get fined, so they got to try to end guys' careers by going low. He's and, not trying to end his career. I, I understand He's that, trying to but... tackle Rob Gronkowski, who is a physical beast. Yeah, He's he a monster. You've got to go low on him, high. and he just went low on his knees. I think that is a legal hit. What are you going to do? I'd love to see him hit him in the in the thighs. Of course, I would. Sure. I, you don't want to see guy. You want to see guys who are, get get their knees blown out. Period. You don't want to see guys who are so crucial to somebody's team not play. You want to see everybody at full strength. It's painful. You don't want to see guys who are great for the league because we talk about him and he's a great personality. You certainly don't want to see him Absolutely. out. Absolutely. But for T.J. Ward to say he didn't hit him up high because he didn't well, want to get fined. Listen, brother, you would need a step stool to hit him up high enough. Right. All right. Yeah. And on top of all of that. On top of do you really think – now, I know we're not NFL players. Do you really think as Gronkowski's making that catch and he's running down the field and he is going to try and meet him at a, at a point to tackle him, he's thinking, I better go low because if I go high, I'm going to get fined? No, definitely not. Of course not. Of course not. He's playing football out there. Right. So to after the fact, try and use that situation to make a point, that's Bush. And yeah. The death stare that Belichick gave Ward uh, – on the field. I, I, I don't fault Ward for the hit because it was, as we said, it was a legal hit. I fault him. You can go, saying, you can go low on a on a tight you end. You can. It's it's. Uh, you can go low. That's, that's the those are the rules of the league. They, they, and li- listen, man, 
it's a big blow for 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 New England. They've lost their best defensive player in Wilfork. Two best, second best in Mayo. They lost Gronkowski. They lost all of his best receiving targets. It's it's and all Aaron on Hernandez Brady now, man. Gone. It is all on Tom Brady because that defense is that defense couldn't. I mean, you see, do you see almost five hundred yards to the Browns? Did you see Jason Campbell's uniform in in fourth quarter? Yeah, it was clean, clean. They couldn't touch him. They 391 yards. I know that because they had the Patriots defense, which was <laughs> minus four. I thought, you know, it could have been Alex Tanny or Caleb Haney in sure. that game. So I'm like, I'm picking up the Patriots defense. They couldn't touch him. They didn't get a sack. They didn't get a fumble. They, any, they did nothing. And you want to talk about crazy endings uh, of week 14, that Patriots ending. Full disclosure, after Josh Gordon went 80 yards for a touchdown, I went to bed. I took a nap. I woke up and I saw my roommate. I said, "Hey, how bad did the Patriots lose?" You need to let people know when you wake up in the morning. And he goes, now, by the oh, way. "I wake up at two thirty in the morning." There you I'm go sorry. for game day morning. <laughs> you have to let people know because I mean, this was right. for most people three forty right. four o'clock Eastern time, and you're and, <laughs> and you're I, saying you're going to bed. I had had enough, so I took a nap and I missed. Obviously, well, that was a twelve point lead, and 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 New England marched down the field, got a touchdown with one minute to go, down twenty six twenty one went with what they called the middle bunt, right. which is just Gostowski just bunting it straight up from the tee, straight forward, and following it, following it, and following it, and sure enough, a, a Brown hit it, and it was live ball, and the Patriots got it. Their first onside kick recovery, from what I read, since 1995. Against the Cleveland Browns. Wow. Yeah, they said that in the broadcast. Crazy. And then a pass interference call that... I, I don't know how they called it. Set it right on the one-yard line and touchdown. Yep. End of game. New England, had New England lost that game, they'd have been the three seed because they would have had the same record as Cincinnati, which beat them in week five. Right. The last time, by the way, that both uh, that New England was shut out at halftime, both Ohio teams did it. Cincinnati in week five, last week, Cleveland. Wow. And, and – and New England came back from this one. Couldn't do it in Cincinnati. Instead, they're still just one game behind Denver with three to go. But they're hurting. And they're one game in front of Cincinnati. That's a team I'm selling right now. The Patriots? Yeah, I mean, the injuries are just, they're going to catch up. The funny thing is, they're a couple of calls away from being 12-1 and right now. And then the game of the week in, in week 14, the Panthers and Saints. Wow. A washout. Yeah, didn't a wipeout. Well, the first quarter. We they, call that a riverboat race. Hey. hey, yeah. hey well, I, I was looking forward to Ryan Khalil tapping uh, tapping his left guard on, <laughs> on the uh, behind right. as a shout out to us, but he didn't get a chance to do that. They weren't even close to a victory formation. The first quarter went very well for them as they, they, they ran 19 of the first 22 plays of the game, but settled for field goals each time. And then when, when Drew Brees gets on a roll in that building. And you're allowing free releases to Jimmy Graham and Marcus Colston, or I you're sat, whiffing on I some sat of the. Colston, it cost me the playoffs, and I'm out. Oh, the league. sorry to hear that. It was nice of Colston to go off the week after I was eliminated against the best, one of the best defenses in the league, yeah. too. He does it. I know. So right now, the Saints have the upper hand in that division race, where you're either going to be the two seed or after San Francisco's win. We were just basically assuming that whoever didn't win the NFC South would be the five seed. That's that that may not be the case. They may drop all the way down to six. the six seed because yeah. San Francisco has nine wins. But as it is right now, Carolina is five and San Francisco is six. Correct. 
because of what's the tie break that's there? Do you have that? I don't have that. Yeah, I'm going to get that for I you. Have, I have the standings Hold up. On. Detroit is the four. Detroit's the four seed because they're seven and six. And, and the Philadelphia is now the eight and five because yeah, of the three seed, uh, right, cause right. In, cause Dallas lost to be seven and six as well. Philadelphia is the owners of the lead's longest winning streak right now, five games. Yes. And you know who has the longest winning streak in the AFC? The Jacksonville Jaguars. What is three in a row? The NFL. You can't write it. You can't script this stuff. Three in a row. Did uh, did you and win then, in your leagues? Well, because you said you started the Patriots. Here, here's the deal: the Garland League, the playoffs start this week. Okay. This was a last regular season week, right there. Um, in the Fishmonger League, this is a moral of the fantasy story that I will always go with from now on. I panicked. Oh. I overthought it. I overthought it. The reason why, by the way, Carolina has the five seed and San Francisco has the six is they have a seven and three. Um, oh, because they beat San Francisco. Duh. Hello. That was oh, one yeah. of the big games. Jeez. They also are seven and three. Uh, they have a half game better record in conference. Um, how many people were downloading this podcast and I'm listening to us and screaming at their, at their, <laughs> at their handheld devices? Um, Two. So here's what I did is I overthought it. Instead of just going with the guys who brought me there, Luck, Gore, Jordan Cameron, those guys, I sat him. But you went Andy Dalton, right? I went Andy Dalton. But okay. Andy Dalton, Andy Luck had a better points day. Luck had seven more points than Andy Dalton because in my league you get five points bonus for 300 yards passing. Okay. That's a big bonus. That's seven points difference, 37 to 30. I went Andre Brown instead of Gore. Oh. Andre oh. Brown fumbled the ball in San Diego. He had a seven-point day. Frank Gore, who busted one 51 yards in the fourth quarter, that set up the game winner for San Francisco to beat Seattle. He had a 16-point day. That's nine. Can and with Jordan Cameron, and with, and, with, and with Jordan Cameron, here's the one that I don't blame. I, I mean, I don't blame the Gore one. I'm really kicking myself. The it's luck, Seattle the luck either. one, the luck one is just that's unlucky, right? Because luck has not right, been right. doing much no. the well, last. Well, like six I weeks. was telling you, Rich, on paper you did the right thing. Jordan Cameron is the one that I have no problems what I did because ever since Jason Campbell started the, at quarterback for Cleveland, they needed to be introduced. He has totally ignored <laughs> Jordan Cameron, right, right. who I believe uh, Steve Tasker called Jordan Campbell. <laughs> for the final three minutes of the game, much to the delight of the Cleveland fans. Who, and by the way, Don Crickey called that game on Yeah, CBS. because Bill McAtee was hung up in the Texas storm. He couldn't get a flight out. And, and Don, I mean, Don Crickey, Hall of Fame announcer, Pete Rozelle Award winner at the Hall of Fame, called that game. Another classic. And he just, how about, he just steps in and a classic game unfolds and he nailed it. He's the best. So Jordan... Cameron had 23 points, and I went with Dennis Pitta, who had 10. I am now down 19 going into the second week of the two-week playoffs. Oh, that's right. It's two weeks. I forgot. Where I would have been up six. I'm down 19 instead because I just went it. I just didn't go with the guys who brought if just If I just said, screw it, I'm going with the guys who brought me there. Sure. That's what I'm doing. And, of course, it doesn't help when Wes Welker gets concussed at right. the end of the second quarter and I got no points. Well, at any rate, the Saints now have the upper hand. They are in St. Louis this week for a big game. The Rams can get them. A lot of people think the Rams can get them, and we've got somebody on this show who believes that, I imagine. Ty Burrell 
Nice. Phil Dunphy of Modern Family. Love that show. Big Oregon Duck fan as well. Penn State alum. Ah. From their kind of masters of fine arts at Penn State. Well, and and he is a master of 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 the fine arts on Modern Family. Yeah, that makes two Modern Family people that have been on this show. That's Eric right. Stone Street has been on uh, a couple of times. Yes, and now uh, Ty Burrell is coming on the show later on. Sophia Vergara next in studio. No, in that, studio, that, 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 that is definitely not a phoner. <laughs> no, no, that's definitely. I not. mean, we can travel to her, Rich. We can go, we can, even if it's <laughs> we, Columbia. We do That's have right. mobile studio. Okay. So uh, there's lots to talk about, a ton to talk about, and we'll go over the playoff scenarios on the other side of this chat with Peter King. It's a home-and-home home week for me and uh, Peter King. I appeared on uh, one-on-one with Peter King, uh, which uh, can be seen on, uh, at, on MMQB.com. MMQB.com. Fantastic. Yeah. As Peter King now rejoins uh, this show, for uh, I don't I've lost track of the number of times Peter's been on the show, but good to chat with you again, Peter. How are you? Everything's great, Rich. Thanks for having me. You bet. And I want to get into your fantastic series on officiating that you posted on the MMQB last week. But first and foremost, uh, the week fourteen, you've been covering this sport for as long as you've been covering it. the The endings of the games in Pittsburgh and Baltimore and New England and the real time in which that was happening while Philadelphia and Detroit was frolicking in the snow. Have you seen a week like that, or just the endings of an early game or even a late window like that? That, to me, just what was so, blew me what was away. What so incredible about it was, and, and let's take the Baltimore game, I didn't realize until it was over that, that in the final 123 seconds of that game, there were five touchdowns and five lead changes. <laughs> I mean, that is the most absurd end- ending of a game. I mean, I thought that Dennis Pitta, when he caught that one-yard touchdown pass from, from, uh, uh, from uh, Joe Flacco, and at the end of games, I end up uh, texting a lot of the PR guys around the league because I want to get certain guys, both for my column and to, to uh, help us in our coverage at NBC for Football Night in America. So immediately I texted Chad Steele and Kevin Byrne and, uh, and Patrick Gleason in Baltimore and said, hey, would really love to get uh, Dennis Pitta uh, after the game for a few minutes to talk about what an amazing comeback, catching the winning touchdown, blah, 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 blah. Well, you know, he's an asterisk in 10 minutes because four Incredible. touchdowns have been scored. But I, I thought it was phenomenal. I thought what was so much fun was the effect of the snow uh, in uh, in Philadelphia, uh, it was so. I mean, look. Sometimes there are snow games, but when have you ever? I tried to think of it in thirty. This is my thirtieth season covering the NFL. I've never seen a game where there is six or eight inches of snow standing there. Yeah. You know, right on the field. It was. It was just. It was so phenomenal to watch. And and the the reaction I was seeing on my Twitter feed from that game was everyone was loving it. They loved they just loved the, it. the It was like 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 kids playing in the snow and then seeing LaShawn McCoy still run for 200 yards and Calvin Johnson having a, a face mask helmet full of snow. He had to leave the field for a play to get it wiped off and everybody loved it, couldn't get enough of it. And yet you mentioned the fact that the Super Bowl is played in a cold weather environment and everyone is so dead set against it. So is this a, do you think that the the fan base in general says that's fine for a week fourteen, but for a one game winner take all Super Bowl, it's not 
optimum. Is that is that a, is that rational in your uh, mind, Peter? I think that that is an excellent way to look at it. I think it would be. I mean, look, Lashawn McCoy ran for 103 yards in two minutes, <laughs> and I mean that is that's cool. It's fun. But it's it's also a little bit like uh, you know varsity against the eighth grade team there for a second, and I do not mean that Detroit was an eighth grade team at all. I just mean that snow makes for very strange and illogical events and happenings, um, and I'm not even sure why it does that because if you look at the first, I think if you, I, I mean, I used this stat the other day. Uh, the first 57 minutes of the game in Baltimore, there were 19 points. The last three minutes of the game, there were 36. I think that's right. It's something like that. Mm-hmm. But, you know, and why does that happen? Because I think weather and footing and conditions can make a mockery of a logical football game. Now, did everybody have a great time? Would everybody think that's the coolest thing ever to happen to a Super Bowl? Is a stodgy person like me making too much of it and thinking that it would be awful if that happened in a Super Bowl? All I know is this, that if you ask two teams right now and two coaches, you know, just if you ask them this question, would you rather play the game in 68 degree uh, light winds breeze no precipitation uh on a perfect grass field um or would you rather play the game when it's 27 degrees there is a there's snow coming in sideways or there's a sleet storm and you can't hang on to the ball what what would you what would you rather do now, I mean, I think a lot of fans would say, give us mayhem, you know, give us Barabbas, give us mayhem. But I think football team, football people, and people who really care about football want to see the game contested in ideal conditions. And it's, it's just a fascinating thing to me, too, Peter, and we're going to be obviously talking about it so much as the Super Bowl approaches. It will be topic number It could even be topic number one of Super Bowl week. We need to see who's going to be there and obviously storylines like maybe Peyton Manning trying to win a Super Bowl in his brother's building and whoever comes in from the NFC. Obviously, those storylines are yet to be established. But it's just fascinating to me that a sport where fans love the fact that, you know what, it's pouring rain. We're going to still go out there. Other sports are going to cancel the day, but we're going out there. The elements are part of the NFL all the time. And now... It's a traditionalist point of view to hold the Super Bowl in conditions where it's not a factor that the X's and O's for a Super Bowl must have a controlled weather environment to the traditionalist point of view. It's remarkable to me how this past week has brought it into focus for me. It's it's great and you know and <clears throat> I found myself thinking um after I filed Monday morning quarterback this week, that one of the things that I wish I had done is just written about, I wish I had written my column this week and asked the question, is this what you want? Yeah. Is this what you want? Because I, I think it's a legitimate question to ask, and I really do want to know. 
I may end up doing that on Twitter this week. Do it. I may end up asking people, is this what you want? I, 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 may, I might, without pre-prejudicing them, um, and because I think it's so interesting. My, my take is that fans will want that overwhelmingly. Or maybe not overwhelming, but I bet the majority of the fans would love to see a Philadelphia-Detroit environment, if not necessarily a – well, Philadelphia and Detroit couldn't play, but right. just, you know, it, 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 at least the environment of that game. Well, because to me, when, when it comes down to it, it's a great question to ask for fans because it seems to me the consensus that I'm seeing is it's great for December football, but for winner-take-all Super Bowl, not, not so much, that yeah. they, don't, they don't want that. But it could happen. So which team do you think is best equipped – if the Super Bowl is played in that environment, which of the Super Bowl contending teams do you think would be best equipped to win a game if that's what happens in MetLife on February 3rd? Um, probably New England. Even without Gronk? Even without Gronk. Um, just because I think over the years we've seen so many times Tom Brady and Bill Belichick cope with uh, all kinds of things, many of them weather-related, and it just doesn't seem you can't. I'm not saying they've always played great in cold weather, but I'm. Uh, what I am saying is none of that stuff really seems to matter to them. I mean, on Sunday, there's a great moment. Uh, I remember, uh, I think it was just right around the two-minute warning, where looking up at the TV and I'm at NBC and there's Tony Dungy and Rodney Harrison. We're looking up and you know we had already basically assigned this upset loss, you know, to to the Patriots. And you look up, it's I think 26 to 14. 26 14 at the two minute warning or close to the two minute warning. And I'm just saying to myself, well, that's it. And, you know, the weather obviously wasn't ideal, and they got one of the gift calls of the year. But What, that know, pass interference call? Yeah, the pass interference call. And so you look at all that and you say, you know, the, the Patriots, they're just, they're just never out of it. And they got their first recovered onside kick since oh, 1995. They're just never out of it. But I think, I think that's one team, but – I look at the teams, Rich, that that I think can play, even if they don't, they're not a northeastern team or a northern team in the classic sense. Like I think the Seattle Seahawks mm-hmm. could play a very good game there because Marshawn Lynch be is great. a punishing back and eats up between the tackle football. Uh, no matter what the weather, I think he's I think he's one of those guys who I would really trust. No doubt. To play a good game. So I would say, and you know, and that isn't because I picked New England and Seattle to make the Super Bowl. <laughs> it's because I think the personnel on their teams are pretty well suited for that kind of game. But I, would, I think Seattle would be great in that environment, too. And Pete Carroll would just, just seeing him hopping up and down with the snow coming down would just yeah. be, that would be a fantastic uh image there clearly uh what, what do you but, but no gronk now though peter and yeah. and and even with gronk for half a game they couldn't even get it in the end zone against the cleveland browns they've got miami this week and and the the history of of the patriots and brady in miami has been paved with uh with with some crushing defeats there's no doubt about that um it, it does appear though that they're going to win their division they could yeah. even get the bye week but 
no Gronk having to go through the playoffs. That's that's of issue, don't you think? It's a it's a huge issue, and and Rich, I, I'll just make this point. I mean, I it, it, to me, I think that if you had to ask me right now, what's the seeding in the AFC? I'd say one Denver, two Cincinnati. Really, the reason I would say that is that. I look at what New England has to do in the last three weeks, minus Gronkowski, and then I look at the Bengals. And, I mean, the toughest thing for the Bengals really is that they have a, uh, uh, you know, they have a, um, uh, uh, you know, to me anyway, their really tough game is going to be at Baltimore in week 16 because Baltimore is going to desperately, desperately need that game. Um, whereas Cincinnati, Cincinnati's toughest game right now, without any question, is going to be the last game against Baltimore at home. So, I, you know, I I just think that, and obviously the Cincinnati wins the tiebreaker because of that, the you know the 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 forty mile an hour win game in Cincinnati. You know, so I mean, I I kind of look at this now and say, <clears throat> I think that Julian Edelman has now figured out that he is this year's you know, sort of emergency guy, and that Tom Brady is going to use him the way he used to use Wes Welker in a pinch. And he's going to, you know, in Edelman, he's got 23 catches the last three weeks. That's going to keep coming because Brady now trusts Edelman more than anybody in that offense. And I also think that Bill Belichick over the last three games is going to start to play clock ball more. He's going to start to try to eat the clock using the running game, and uh, whoever it is going to be. I think Bolden you're going to see increasingly. But I, I, I just think that, that Bill Belichick is going to figure it out because he usually does. So what do you, if you could crystal ball it best you can with less than eight weeks to go, who plays in New Jersey, do you think? Denver and Seattle. Yeah, I think so too. I think they got the best shots. And, you know, look – Something weird is going to happen. You know it. Carolina is going to go on a run. Arizona is going to beat somebody. I mean, something strange is going to happen because that's what always happens, and it makes it fun. But I just think you talked about it a few minutes ago. Peyton Manning, he's really kind of a man on a mission. Um, And I think this is really, really important to him this year. He's finally got, I think, the elements on defense – to really make it hard for a team to come in and win any way other than just to try to outscore them. And I just like Peyton Manning and those receivers in a scoring contest. So uh, then then let's let's move further down the rungs. <laughs> What's going on in Washington, Peter? It, it, there, of all the storylines, just every year there's always a, a place where you're wondering, what really is going on there? And And Washington has been... Uh, ground zero for that with all of the things that clearly coming out of the locker room about RG3 not calling the right protections and and uh, his dad being in there and people having issues with that and then this past week's report about Shanahan getting set to quit regardless of what was going to happen in the playoffs last year but the RG3 knee injury caused him to stay. What is going on there? Well, you know, usually when stories like, like this happen – and when they surface, I sort of look at uh, the people who know these people the best and the people involved generally in the story. And I think if America really wants to know what happened there, they basically should look at the reaction of Mike Shanahan. And the reaction of Mike Shanahan was basically that I'm not going to talk about this. 
Now, to me, I've known Mike Shanahan for a long time. If there was something out there that was really tremendously wrong, Mike Shanahan would find a way to put bullet holes in the story. And he basically has resisted putting bullet holes in this story. And to me, when you look at that, and when you look at how it's been covered in the media, you don't have a bunch of people out there right now. And I I remember, Rich, in 1987, I interviewed uh, to cover that team, to to cover Washington for the Washington Post. And I interviewed for that job, and I was sitting in the office of Ben Bradley. And I was... The great Washington Post editor. Yeah, first of all, I'm quaking in my shoes, (laughs) you know, just sitting there thinking to myself, oh, my God, all the president's men. And, uh, you know, but, but but at one point he said to me, you know, the way we think of this beat here, you know, covering this team in this town, the way we think of it, to us, it's like covering the Supreme Court. That's how important this is. Basically saying, are you up for it? Mm-hmm. I ended up not taking the job for a lot of different reasons. That certainly wasn't one of them. I would have been incredibly excited about it and to work for the Post. But at the time, I was covering for the Giants for Newsday and decided to stay. Anyway, what ended up happening, uh, in my opinion, over time, is that they've gotten some really tremendous reporters down there inside the Beltway covering that team. And you would, I, in my opinion, you would know if this story wasn't true within three or four hours of it uh, with people in this business. This story's true. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying every sentence in the story I can vouch for, but this story is true. This happened. And so the way I look at it right now, I say... Dan Snyder's going to be looking for his eighth coach pretty soon. I mean, because how can he sit there, Shanahan? I respect the heck out of him, obviously. He's got a – I've met him many times, and I just – the utmost of respect. But how can he sit there and say he's thinking of benching RG3 to save him from injury? I mean, there was a a, a great tongue-in-cheek uh, blog that the DC, the Washington, I think uh, the Washington Post had their their they they blog they have a blog mm-hmm. uh, on football about what the twenty three things Mike Shanahan should do if he really wants to get fired by Dan Snyder that included things like uh, giving a bad score to Valkyrie on Rotten Tomatoes, you know, and yeah. <laughs> and, and some really yeah. funny things. Yeah. Uh, one of which and, and one of which was say that you you were benching Kirk Cousins to protect him and naming Pat White the starter, and mm-hmm. then saying wait, m- announce you're benching Pat White to protect him from injury, and Rex Grossman is the starter. And then it went kept it kept going down and down t- to, uh, I think they they what was the name of the kid the the Hawaii quarterback that they had quarterback Cole Brennan yes they even they even drilled down all the way down to you're benching Pat White to protect him and naming Colt Brennan the starter because <laughs> I mean, uh, how can you sit there and say I know RG three's getting beat up but you you're going out you're in a dome even he's not even going to be outside this week you know what yeah. I, I mean how can you sit that's why everybody thinks that's the most provocative thing that he did was saying that he was going to bench RG three this well, week. Well, I, I, when I heard that, and, and to I save him for the off season, I might add. And I watched his uh, his news conference. You know, you know, when he said that, I thought of two things. I thought number one, um, I really thought that Mike Shanahan, uh, you know, in the last year or so, 
has really tried. Let's let's do a little bit of a history lesson on Mike Shanahan. When he coached the Denver Broncos, he made every decision there was to make. Okay, so now he finishes coaching the Denver Broncos, and he goes into another place where he has a strong general manager in Bruce Allen. You know Bruce Allen. Sure. Bruce Allen is, you know, he's the man. He's going to make a lot of decisions there. Now you go to the ownership. You know, Daniel Snyder is going to make a lot of the decisions there. You saw the other day that uh, that, that uh, uh, Shanahan even said in this press conference that I wouldn't make this decision without talking to the owner. <laughs> so <clears throat> you look at that, you look at those two things, and you say, okay, in the past, if he was going to bench John Elway, well, of course he'd tell Pat Boland, but he wouldn't say, hey, Pat, could I bench John Elway? <laughs> he would just bench him. And then he would say, hey, by the way, I'm benching John Elway. And, and he'd have to have some justification. I'm not saying he wouldn't, but it's just different in Washington. And I think when I, when I saw this, I heard this, the one thing I just thought of right away was, this is Mike Shanahan finally saying, hey, look, this is my team. And I am doing what I think is in the best interest, either short or long term, whatever you think of this. And, and again, it's hard for people to imagine that and to, and to look at that. But I think for a long time, it strikes me anyway, that Mike Shanahan has thought that this team has been interloped upon, <laughs> you know, and, Great. And, and, and so he's basically saying, I'll make the decision if Robert Griffin III is going to play. And everybody, you just wait until I make my decision, and then that'll be it. Oh, man. I mean, it's, it, it's unbelievable. It's a crazy story, it's, though. It, it right. is, Peter. I mean, because it's a remarkable how it went from, okay, they, they finally got RG3, right? And, and, they're gonna, and they're going ahead and they're going to draft him, and he get, they, they get him, and suddenly he makes the playoffs, and 13 games later, after an ACL, he, he's going to be on the outs, essentially. And, and the Rams get their first-round pick next mm-hmm. year. That could be second overall, Peter. Could be. Les Snead may be second on the clock. You know come what? May I, I'll just I'll make this point. I've I've really laughed at all these people who have said, "Oh, who will take this job now?" You know, I mean, this is this is crazy. What's going on here? Who would take this job? And you know, just remember a couple of things that we you know, if people think, "Boy, Snyder's going to have trouble getting a coach," well. A couple of years ago, he got or three, whatever it was, four years ago, he got Mike Shanahan, who was like the hottest coach in the land at the time. Shanahan decided to come without a quarterback, by the way. So now, and, and how about when Dave Campo was finishing his unillustrious tenure in Dallas and everybody's saying, boy, Jerry will never get a coach here. I mean, you know, he, he's such a, he's got his fingers all over, he'll never get one. He only got Bill Parcells. So, I laugh when people say, well, Snyder won't get a coach he likes or a coach that anybody like. You know, I, I don't know who he's going to get. I don't, and, well, everybody you know, he's thinks like, he's going to go get RG3's uh, college yeah, coach. You know, and, and, and you know, whatever coach is there, you have to say, my God, whatever you think of how he's been managed or whatever, uh, you know, Robert Griffin III, I get to coach this guy. Yeah, I, know. <laughs> I mean, you know, people, I just, I'm laughing at that these days when people saying, oh, this is an awful job. Sure it is. Before I let you go, I want to talk, touch upon your uh, fantastic three-part series last week, Peter, where you got to follow Gene Steratore's, um crew 
Gene Steratore referee in the National Football League. Um, you got to follow him for an entire week. How f- many questions for you on that one? First of all, how how'd you pull that? How long did it take for you to to get the green light on that? Well, I originally asked Greg Aiello in the league office, like you know, last win- late last winter or something, when I knew I was going to be doing this new website, the MMQB. Um, I wanted it to be. I wanted there to be special stories on this site, things that had never been done before. And we kicked it off in July with Jason Garrett's training camp opening speech, uh, which nobody had ever been able to put either on video or to write about, uh, which was our first shot out of the box in July. And we've done a bunch of those things during the course of the year, things that people really haven't done before. And so I, I went to Aiello. I went to other people in the league. I had two long conversations with Dean Blandino telling him exactly what I wanted to do. No editorial control by the NFL, no nothing. Um, but they did have approval over the crew that I wanted. And I, as I said to them, I said, I'll take any crew you give me. Right. But, I, but if you were to ask me, they said, do you have anybody in mind? And I said, you know, I would only say this. Gene Steratore, who I had met once but didn't know at all, um, I, I, you know, I think he'd be pretty good because he looks like a guy who is open doesn't necessarily take himself too seriously, is not going to be all that militaristic in his or whatever. So I think he'd be good at explaining what the life is really like. So that's how I did it. They gave me the approval in September, and then it was just figuring out a good week to do it, which was game 150, Baltimore at Chicago uh, in at Soldier Field in November. Yeah, with with uh, what happened with the weather as well for mm-hmm. that game and how and how he handled just it was an excellent inside look. And Steratour was the uh, was the first ref out on the field after the uh, lockout last year. We yes. we had him on the field in Baltimore, and he was funny before the game. He's just like, you know, they'll cheer us now. <laughs> one quarter not in, for long, though. Yeah, that'll yeah. be not for long, right? And and but he's also a great uh, a subject to choose too, Peter, because. Uh, he's also a ref in the Big Ten as well yeah. uh, for basketball, right. and and that sort of drills down to the heart of the matter that a lot of people have is that these officials are not full time no. officials for the NFL, and they they're 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 doing other jobs in addition to refereeing. What he's got a plumbing business, a family plumbing business. Is that what he's got? Steratory? Right, a plumbing supply, bi- right, janitorial supply business. But Rich, here here's the thing. I went to uh, the back judge, Dino Paganelli, who worked the Super Bowl last year, is an AP history teacher and a gym teacher in a small high school near Grand Rapids, Michigan. Um, He's the guy who made the Calvin Johnson call three years ago. Uh, Didn't complete the the act of the catch and and all that. But, I mean, these guys, and, and I went home. I was in his classroom in the afternoon. And then I went home with him to his house. And what was so incredible about it, he's a single dad. His wife died three years ago. And he's a single dad. So he is looking at the taped highlights from the week that he's trying to do his homework on. And he's got, some, he's got his mom coming to pick up uh, the, uh, uh, you know, one of his sons to go play basketball. He's got, all the, you know, he's got all these other things going on, and he needs to study his, his NFL stuff. So... I mean, these guys do have other lives, and um, I was really impressed with how they could sort of mesh their lives with uh, how, you know, they've got to get ready for these games. So it was it was really an incredibly enlightening week uh, that I was able to spend with the crew. Well, 
the question I have for you is after having seen this firsthand and knowing because standing on the field for Thursday night football games, it's just remarkable to me how how these guys uh, get most of it right. Okay, and this is the caveat that I have for the question I'm about to ask you. These guys, the football players, get bigger, stronger, faster every year. The fact that they can know whether somebody dragged a foot or right. or uh, or anything like that. Uh, and get it right most of the time is remarkable. But do you think there's an officiating problem in the National Football League, as many fans think, certainly this year, having seen it? I think there is an officiating problem because I think some of the things, like, look, I think Jeff Triplett's overruling um, uh, on his replay in Cincinnati, in the Cincinnati That was was ridiculous. I thought it was utterly preposterous. You You only overturn calls that... You have indisputable visual evidence. He didn't have it. I mean, it's ridiculous when those things happen, and it's ridiculous when two officials running up the sideline see Mike Tomlin with a foot out on the field or see him way, way too far onto the white stripe and don't throw the flag. Those are the biggest officiating problems. In a big, you know, there are going to be messed up calls where Ed Hockley is going to blow Nick Fairley. Uh, blow the call of Nick Fairley running into Nick Foles, you know, and he shouldn't have called a late hit on the quarterback. These things happen, really. There's going to be one or two of those every week where a guy makes a bad call. We understand. The calls that are indefensible are the calls like the one that, that Triplett made and the ones the two guys on Cleet Blakeman's crew missed uh, with, with Mike Tomlin. Yeah, I mean, th- that's the, the Tomlin video. Uh, everyone obviously is focusing on Jacoby Jones, and for good reason. But when you see the video <laughs> to Tomlin's left, oh. as, he is, as he's getting out of Jones's way, he, he almost hits an official that's running around him, and then, then they didn't flag it. But that's the two things that I think need to be – to fix this, Peter, is I think – Belichick's not wrong saying review everything. I don't mind it at all. I think it's a good idea. Because that's up to the official. That's up to the coaches as to how to just judiciously use the two challenges that they have. Don't you don't you don't give the coaches more challenges. You just give them more things that they're able to challenge if they so wish, including those helmet to helmets that are really shoulder to shoulder. There was that hit, I believe in uh, was that in the Cleveland uh, New England game this or was it on Sunday Night Football? Where I forgot what it was. Where yeah, it was on Edelman. Where it looked like his head was just absolutely hammered, but it was really, uh, it was on Pollard. Pardon me, it was on Bernard Pollard. Yeah, Bernard Tennessee. Pollard. You're right. You're right. It was in the yeah. ten- on Eric Decker. They met. Their shoulders met, and they flagged Bernard Pollard for hitting a defenseless receiver. If you you have to review those, that's number one. And for the Jeff Triplett problem, is they should go ahead and do what the NHL and Major League Baseball does. Blandino's crew in his in his superfly, um, uh, uh, I guess. Um, they what would have you call to it? centralize the, the officiating yes, for the, it, all replay calls. They all correct. have to be done in one spot by the same people. In his in his de- in, in his in his cave that they yeah. have there, which has everything. I mean, it is state of the mm-hmm. art. They should be the replay officials. I agree, and totally. they make the calls and tell Jeff Triplett what to do because then the league owns these calls and yeah. it's all centralized. That Dean knows what's a catch and what isn't a catch, and he knows what's in the rule book and what isn't. It just seems to me this game of telephone that happens between a booth official and the and the referee with the league. I, I, I'm sure Blandino might be screaming at the screen sometimes, just like right. a fan at home. Right? It's Pete? amazing. It really is. 
I mean, well, at any rate, Peter, you and I are at least a lockstep on that. I, I appreciate you uh, calling in. Uh, sure, no I, problem. Enjoyed it, Rich. Thank I, you very much. And, I and look, thanks for reading the officiating series. It was only fourteen thousand eight hundred words. But it was, it was, it, it's, it, you know, and 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 if that's what you set out to do, clearly with with the uh, MMQB is to do something that you don't see anywhere else. That that's that's right at the top of the list, as you pointed out. So uh, I really enjoy reading your site and stories like that, and I look forward to more. All the best, Rich. Thank you so much. Thank you. That's Peter King here back on the Rich Eisen Podcast. Peter King, everybody. I got a little bit heated with Peter at the end there. <laughs> and I think he had to go. Otherwise, he would talk about it a little more. But they, the league should absolutely centralize the replay system. Wait. From the, I don't know why I blanked on their on their. Their Efficient command mission center. control. Yeah, the yeah, command the center. Command center. That's where we shoot the mock draft. Where we do, uh, and and every game has its own screen and its own DVR and everything, everything. Now, what happens if replays happen at the same time in two different games? That might be an issue. They have an official assigned to each game there, though. That's watching it in real time as well, because they're flagging the games. But when right you then and have different people at different facilities each week i mean it's the same usually the replay officials are the same for facilities i i I, but san diego's at denver this week the replay official that's in san diego is not the one that's in denver denver whoever does the denver games is different from the one in san diego most likely i I don't know the names i don't know i don't know i i don't know all of that and these guys know the rule book and they are conscientious i know i know a couple replay officials they're former officials they're also people who are, who are very conscientious of their jobs all that said it just opens up different rules of different ways of looking at it the jeff triplet call in makes in, no insane. sense reviewing it it was fourth down and one at the end of the first half mm-hmm. yep yes cincinnati it was seven nothing Cincinnati goes for it. Instead of going up 10 nothing, they went for it, and they handed it to Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis, who started losing his balance, fell down clearly before the line. Bounced in. But before the goal line. Right. And then bounced in. But he should be down where he first hit the ground because he was clearly going down, and you could see in the replay that it was he was contacted. It sure looked like it. But the ruling on the field that he was down. Cincinnati did not score. Indianapolis ball down 7 nothing on their own half-inch yard line. But still, it's their ball, and they're down 7. They go into the hood, under the hood, because it was in the last, I believe, two minutes of the half. And they look at it. And they looked at it forever. They looked at it for a really long, long time. time. Yeah, It seemed like longer than the two minutes. Triplett comes back, reverses it, saying that he was not contacted, and he bounced into the end zone. It's a touchdown. Pagano just looked. Like, what in the world? To reverse it. It didn't – I mean, certainly it was not conclusive to me whether Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis was contacted. It sure looked like it. But the ruling on the field was he was contacted and he was down. To reverse it by saying there's incontrovertible evidence that he was not touched and that the bouncing in the end zone is something that he's allowed to do now. I, I didn't I, I just can't see it. Yeah. And I would have to see that say that a, an official in Dean Blandino's presence could be Dean himself maybe making the call. I know the man's got enough on his plate. <laughs> All right. 
But if you centralize it, if it goes straight to the league office, and thus it is not somebody who is in the replay booth in one facility one week, and it's a different person each week in a different spot. It's just a bunch of officials that the league has in their office, and they can all look at each other, maybe even huddle up like you do in an office. Remember, in any office, right? An email comes in, and maybe you call over a bunch of people from uh, from around the cubicles. What do you make of this? You yeah. put your heads together, and you make a decision. But for some reason... And we'll get Dean back on the show. Well, he said you brought it up before because you asked him about I have. this. He said he wants it to be at at where the game is being played, so the coaches, because the coaches want the be coaches want to go look to directly in the eye of somebody yeah. and say, "You made this decision. Why did you make it?" Well, you know what? It's time to say to the coaches, "I'm sorry." To come up on a jumbotron, maybe from well, OCC. in some instances, Rich, you won't even get an explanation from the official. Oh boy, Patriot I, fan! What, right what, there. One thing while you were talking with him about his article, and we were talking about uh, Gene Steratore, and he has three jobs. When the referee lockout came to an end last year, their new agreement, uh, refs are getting paid. Their salary this year is one hundred and seventy-three thousand. Is what is the need for two other jobs? I mean, now everyone lives differently, and I get it. But the way Peter wrote the article was, he lives a modest, you know, lifestyle in the suburbs, uh, the suburbs of Pittsburgh, and. We look you know, at Ed Hockley. I mean, Ed Hockley is a practicing lawyer as well. Still, these guys have full time other two jobs. If you're, if, uh, my two thoughts are: I, I will never tell somebody that they can't make as much money as sure. they want to make. That's number one. Yeah. And number two, you can't. I, I, I can't sit here and say that Jeff Triplett blew the call. This call that we're talking about because he was too busy during the week doing something else, making him either too tired to be focused on it or. Uh, less informed on the decision because he wasn't studying. Well, my point is, Peter made you it. Can't sit here. He and made say it that. sound like the back judge he stayed with that made the Calvin Johnson call is also a a AP history teacher, a gym teacher, right? And and so is doing this job. So he can't make the call in real time because of that. Uh, well, he if he's reviewing tape or might not have enough time during his day to grade papers or something. It's at what point do, don't here's you come the, back here's, here's here's the problem that I would have with this, okay? okay, is that instead of calling what he was calling on Calvin Johnson, he runs up and he starts talking about the teapot dome scandal, <laughs> the XYZ affair from his AP history the Tet class. Offensive? Well, yeah. yeah. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, that's Which a, job are you at? No, teapot I mean, dome's an Ohio reference, Rich. Uh, I mean. You know what I mean? So uh, I... I it's a tough thing. I don't thing. know it's, how it's, it's, making these guys full time. We can't blame the NFL for saying why aren't these guys full time employees? I say the fix to all of these issues is that replay box, man. Yeah, it's all right there. The grading system was fascinating it's too. All right there. The downgrading. And I know, and talking about the grades and how the the refs are obsessed with their grades because that's what allows them to move forward or up the chain yeah. to get a, a crucial playoff game, which is they all want to be in the game. Yep. And I understand why they have to have that system, but they also said Dean Blandino tells them, "Listen, don't, don't, don't worry about that stuff. Just get the call right." Yeah. Playoff scenarios for Week 14. We have uh, three more winning in teams for Week 15. Pardon me. Playoff scenarios: uh, three winning in teams. Kansas City, a winning in. Kansas City this week plays. Uh, do we have this? Do we have the schedule? Here we go, everybody. Kansas City this week in week number fifteen comes home uh, to play. No, they're at Oakland. At Oakland, yeah. they're at Oakland. So they should get that one. 
What was the what were the Raiders doing with their quarterbacks this week? So, yeah. se- second series, they took McGloin out. No, no what was idea. That all about? No explanation I, uh, that I could see. No idea. So that's the, if if Kansas City beats Oakland for week number fifteen, they're in. Period. New England's at Miami. New England wins that, they clinch the East. Never an easy game down in Miami. If they lose that game, they watch Monday Night Football and root for the Lions because if the Lions win, Baltimore's loss would clinch a playoff spot for New England, merely a playoff spot. We all know that they're going to win the East at some point, even if it's not this weekend. Cincinnati is not winning in. Cincinnati uh, needs a win on Sunday night in Pittsburgh and a Baltimore loss in Detroit to clinch the AFC North. If Cincinnati wins and Baltimore wins, they need a Miami loss to just clinch a playoff spot. I what? think Cincinnati's definitely going to get in the playoffs clearly at this yeah. point in time. Think- and they've, they, they're, they're just, they've got a, a really hard-hitting defense, even without Geno Atkins. I love Gio Bernard and Ben Jarvis Green-Ellis and A.J. Green and, and, and Jones. That defense, that just plugged if Dalton in just If Dalton just doesn't turn it over, they're really good. Yeah. I, st- I don't think beating Denver good in Denver during the playoffs good, but I think they're really good. I think they're really good. Yeah, Seattle's already clinched a playoff spot, which Denver did this past week by beating the Titans. And that Denver win over the Titans put Indianapolis in as the winner of the AFC South. Isn't that amazing that even after all of these years, Peyton Manning is still securing a home playoff game for the Indianapolis <laughs> nice. Colts? Nice. <laughs> I like that. So... Those are the only two teams with AFC spots. The only NFC spot is Seattle, but that that's gonna that could change. New Orleans with a win in St. Louis clinches a playoff spot. They cannot clinch the division for various reasons that are obvious. Carolina can clinch. Um, there are other ways that New Orleans can clinch as well. If Arizona and Dallas loses, or Arizona and Philadelphia loses. Um, and that's a, those are basically the the ways that they a lot can, of tie situations. Yeah, we don't mention those. Yeah, Carolina can uh, clinch a playoff spot with a win and an Arizona loss and a San Francisco loss and a Dallas loss. Mm. Carolina's home against the Jets this week. Arizona is lurking, guys. They won again. They're at Tennessee. That is a late afternoon game for all those wondering about that for a team that comes on the. Uh, that comes uh, your way from the West Coast. Right now, Arizona in the NFC is sitting there at the seven seed at eight and five. Tough schedule, though. Titans, Seahawks, and 49ers, the last three. They're at the Seahawks. They're, They're at, home for the 49ers. Yeah. The Titans, too, are sneaky. It's a tough team. And I felt so bad for Tyron Matthew. He was having a, probably a defensive rookie of the year season. And he may still, even though he won't yeah. play the last three games. He blew out his knee in that win over the the uh, Rams Milner, this weekend. First round. So San Francisco can win if it wins against McLennan in Tampa, um, and that game it is going down in Tampa Bay. That is an early afternoon game. Those are never easy. Those are never ever easy. No. For a West Coast team. McLennan, like let, let down, you know, emotional uh, uh, win against Seattle. A McLetdown? <laughs> hey Yeah, San Francisco is at Tampa. That's a one Eastern on Fox, everybody. So a win-and-in scenario for New Orleans, Kansas City, uh, and New England. 
for this week. Man, that's what's going on in the playoffs right now. We're going to pick games on the other side. I want to mention right now a couple of things. Uh, Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad, this one's already in the can. We're going to release it on Friday. All you Breaking Bad fans, he came in, Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad. Um, We were going to sit down with him for a half an hour, 30 minutes, right? Yeah, we said, hey, do you have a half hour? He goes, sure. How long did it run? We went an hour and 42 minutes. (laughs) One hour and 42 minutes. And we could have kept going. And we could have kept going. And we could have... Definitely kept going. It's just a fascinating chat with a, a clearly super brilliant individual. He was amazing. Hyper creative, super brilliant individual. Just picking his brain about process, writing, yeah. characters, development, plot lines, how they came up with stuff, how we think they came up with stuff, but it just happened. <laughs> Sometimes it just it, happened. It just right. happened. Other, other stuff was... Right. Right. Was it planned he, out? Yeah. It All was, of these aspects of breaking bad couldn't have been a nicer guy too we hit him up that's friday yeah we're gonna post that friday we'll post that friday we'll talk about the thursday night game in which peyton manning needs five touchdowns to hit 50 for the season and he could put a serious crimp in san diego's playoff hopes but if san diego wins that game they're seven and seven and then new england new england would be in the running for a top seed Indeed. <laughs> My gosh. So, spoiler alert, if you do listen to that Friday podcast uh, yeah. and you haven't seen Breaking Bad and you want to, either don't download it or download it and then scrub to the one-hour, 42-minute mark and listen to the end. And <laughs> next week's podcast, one of the reasons why we're putting Vince out separately is not only because of the length of it, but we're putting it out later in the week to just fill the time uh, because next week's show is going to come out on Thursday, December yeah. 19th, as opposed to its usual Tuesday slot. The reason for that is we are in New York taping the Christmas Eve holiday special that's going to put Brockman back in the uh, Avid Bay. Yes. The Edit Bay with uh, with Paul, right? That's right. Paul Thurwachter. With Thurwachter. Cannot wait for that. Uh, I'm sitting down with the Anchorman 2 stars, Will Ferrell, Steve Carrill, Paul Rudd, and David Koechner as themselves. As themselves. From the league headquarters in New York City. So cool. And going, we're we're flying to New York to do that. And what we'll do is we'll yep. tape that, have a different podcast with guests next week. Dennis Miller and Joe Manganello. Manganello's coming in. Uh, yeah, Manganello back in the studio. I can't and, wait to figure out how I'll offend him this time. Well, just <laughs> I, I just it's just the way. I mean, just figure out you'll do it. <laughs> oh, you didn't get the Superman role? Oh, that's oh, not what okay. I said. By the way, that's December nineteenth, and then the following week we'll put out the Anchorman two audio version, the whole thing. Yeah, we get sh- him for fifty minutes. Yeah, it's going to be pretty unprecedented. We get him for five oh minutes, so we'll put the whole that. thing up there, and that'll be for your 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 listening uh, pleasure during the holiday season. Anchorman comes out the previous Friday on Friday, the uh, December eighteenth. They uh, they actually bumped it up. It was supposed to come out Friday the twentieth, and so I think it's, it's, the it's coming out Wednesday. The 18th. And you guys have seen the film already, right? We you saw, saw it. We it's did. another. It's another screening. Another you guys. screening. What else can I do for you guys? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's so uh, you've already seen it. It's as advertised. It. As advertised, Very, beginning to end, constant laughs. You know, how you think you're going to do a sequel, and you're going to uh, this Especially, isn't going to be yeah. as good. Right. It, not only was it good, it actually had a moral to the story and a good yep. It was was fantastic. It was good. It was really outstanding. Fabulous. Um, So that's just the housekeeping I want to do right now. Uh, Ty Burrell is going to call in in a couple minutes, the the star of 
Modern Family, one of the many stars of Modern Family. We have Eric Stone Street on here, and I, I've wanted to get Ty Burrell on for a while. A huge football fan. Yeah, he's a huge Rams fan. He's a huge Oregon Duck fan. Yep. So there's lots to talk about there, too. Uh, Jim Brockmire, as we all know, has been on this show many times. Funny or Die, Jim Brockmire, Hank Azaria, playing the, uh, the legend in the booth. Uh, before there was Jim Brockmire, there was the rant writer. Because if you ever see the funnier dive video of Jim Brockmire, at the front of it, the front plate, if you will, is um, is uh, they call it game changers. He's a game changer. Jim Brockmire is a game changer. But the first game changer was a Ty Burrell created character called the Rant Writer, who's a guy who writes rants for athletes and coaches. So like Allen Iverson, Jim Mora, Denny Green, Denny Green. The who- concept is that is that. The the rants were not impromptu <laughs> moments at the podium. They were actually following a script that was provided to them by the rant Mike writer. Mike Tyson probably is one of the funniest ones. And oh. the way Ty Burrell deadpans it is off the charts hilarious. <laughs> yeah, you should seek, seek that, that out. out for sure. Funnierdie.com. Just put in uh, rant writer. Is he on the phone? Yes. Let's get to him. Here's Ty Burrell. He is the Emmy Award winning actor from Modern Family. You know him and love him as Phil Dunphy, and he's also the Rant Writer, which is one of the greatest videos ever created uh-huh. by Funny or Die. He is Ty Burrell from Modern Family. How are you, Ty? Good, good. Thanks for having me on. Oh, my gosh. This is uh, a pleasure having you on this show. And, and uh, I don't even know what to start with you first because the Rant Writer – is is one of the funniest videos that I have I have seen. Uh, I'm not I'm not just saying oh, that because you were on the phone. Um, for those who may not have seen it, uh, explain explain who the rant writer is, Ty. Well, the rant writer is uh, Charlie. I'm forgetting his last name, but he's a guy who was really a fledgling playwright who decided to go into the world of writing rants for athletes. Um. <laughs> Because his playwriting career was was uh, not not working out, it went south. So he ended up he he wrote the rants for my favorite was Tyson, <laughs> but <laughs> but um, we can't do that one on the air. Certainly um, would require a lot of bleeps. That's for sure. It would just be mainly bleeps, and then a few like thes and and um, um, and. Uh, I can't, it was, yeah, well, oh, the Iverson. Yeah, you came up with, the rant writer came up with the practice. Like, like it was as if you were giving yeah. Alan a script, and he was reading yeah, your right. work when he was going on his practice rant. Yeah, talking about practice was a Charlie, was a Charlie original. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, that was just a, a blast to do. I, I, those, the guys over at Funny or Die have created this world where you can basically literally do whatever you want. And and also they have just this incredible group of super, you know, genius comedy writers. So um, I've only done a couple of things over there, but they're just always sort of like the most fun in the world. Yeah, and you kicked off like their Game Changers, uh, I guess, uh, franchise in a way with Jim Brockmire, Hank Azaria doing his Jim Brockmire character. And he's been on this show right, many times right. as Brockmire. He's done your your show, right? Yes. He's done it as as Jim. That's we've we've so had him. Awesome. Yeah, we've had him come on. He did last season. He did the plays of the month every single month of the NFL season. We had him come in, and that's so great. 
That stuff is so funny. Yeah, my favorite Brockmeyer line was about Tim Tebow. He goes, you know that Tim Tebow? He's got all the the fiery leadership of Ray Lewis and the throwing ability of Ray Lewis. I love it. One of the greatest lines. Incredible. (laughs) So yeah, the rant writer is just in just the way that you just would the 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 way you threw away all the lines about he you know as as the rant writer just not really wanting to take credit for his work, but just yeah, you know just just seeing it played out at the podium was just uh, was something the rant writer just loved. I loved it. Oh yeah, it was so fun. We actually did another one of those right. Which I don't think turned out quite as well as the first one, but they're they're really fun to do. I have a feeling we'll do another one. Yeah, that, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see it. So uh, yeah. you're you're a Rams fan? Is that a true story, Ty? Yeah, I'm a I'm a I'm a huge Rams fan. I'm I, almost sort of at the expense of the rest of the NFL. I just basically, you know, read and follow my team. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I just I love the Rams. It's been a rough. It's been a really rough stretch. <laughs> <laughs> but um. But I still, I mean, you know, it's just a loyalty thing. I just, I think they're really on their way to being good again, too. It's sort of a process with Fisher and Les Snead and Kevin Demoff and those guys. But um, but I think they're on their way. It's just been kind of a weird year losing Bradford. Yeah, I mean, but how does how does somebody from the state of Oregon start? Was it the Los Angeles Rams? Is that what, what, what first yeah, got you into the Rams? Exactly. Well, what, we were... We were Rams fans in Oregon because all of our my uncles and aunts lived in Los Angeles, so they would bring a sort of, um, you know, a steady stream of propaganda up of like hats and shirts and stuff, and and then um, when they moved to weirdly enough when they moved to St. Louis it was not it wasn't a big deal to us because we'd never been in the same town as our team, so it wasn't any stretch for us to stay Rams fans. The, the bigger crisis in my family was when they changed uniforms, which, I mean, as, as silly as that sounds, that was the only thing we really ever knew was the old unis. And uh, so when they changed uniforms, that's when all of, you know, uncles, aunts, and cousins all went into a tizzy. Not the fact that they had actually left, that they'd left Los Angeles, but that they changed their colors. Is that so? So, but now being a, a fan of Oregon football, changing uniforms yeah. and colors—I mean, that that happens every yeah. day of the week. It seems with with Oregon it's football. So true. Now. That's so, it's so it's so hypocritical of us now because we've so <laughs> taken to the Rams. I mean, taken to the Ducks. We're like, uh, it's so funny too about the Ducks, where you're like, we were the have-nots forever, and all we would do is rail against these schools that had all the money and. And then as soon as Phil Knight stepped in, we were like, it's, no, no, this is different. It's right. You've got that crazy Uncle Phil that just yeah. c- comes in with all the toys, and he's just the crazy yeah. rich Uncle Phil. Yeah, that's not. it's not the same as being like a rich school. We just got this eccentric uncle. Yes. <laughs> That's right. Who's got all the new kicks and all the new new garb? Yeah. And and Chip Kelly. Yeah. I mean, Chip Kelly is essentially um, done very well. I mean, I, I know you say you're, you're Rams focused, but uh, have you been yeah, paying no, attention I, at all? I follow Chip. Yeah, I've definitely been following Chip. I I think the thing that I've been most impressed with Chip is that I, he's changed the offense a little bit. Uh, not that he's running a totally pro style offense, but He's he has you know he 
he has changed a little bit. I mean, that's been kind of impressive. And also, he always has said for years that he didn't need a running quarterback to make his offense work, and now he's kind of proving it, I think. Yeah, and this week with the snow game that he had. That was crazy. Right, where they, they didn't even use their kickers for extra points because of how inclement the weather was. And we were all sitting there going, uh, you know, when he when he goes for two, and, and the announcers were like, right. well, this is the first time the Eagles have gone for two this year. And we were looking at like, Chip Kelly hasn't gone for two yet because normally that's what he does right. for breakfast. How's that possible? Right. Isn't, somebody just told me the same thing. And I was like, no, that's not true. That can't be right. he goes, he goes for two six times a game, but but apparently he hadn't. I, I'm not really sure. I still feel like I don't know if you feel this way, but I feel like he's got a lot up his sleeve. That when he's got more of his own players, that that we're going to see a little bit more of the innovative Chip Kelly again down the road. But that's just kind of like. I've yeah, got no, I mean because that that's what everyone's wondering is as you point out that he has not taken the carbon copy of what 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 was working up there in Oregon and brought yeah. it to Philadelphia that he has adapted in a way but we are all wondering if he is just ready and waiting to getting the Andy Reid people out and keeping whoever from that administration works in his current aspect right right and just seeing and how it works then stuff's going to get really weird so <laughs> <laughs> it'll be like It'll, everybody will just line up in a single file, and they'll be throwing the ball back to each other. It's going to get crazy. Well, this Cats week... and dogs living together. Exactly. This week, the Rams and the Saints play one another. Yeah. And, and all of us here think that this game screams trap for the Saints. Yeah. Going into St. Louis. Yeah. Would you would you th- would you feel that is an appropriate way well, to look at this game? Um, I hope so. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm I'm kind of a Kellen Clemens apologist because he went to Oregon. Oregon. That's right. Uh, I think you know when we have trouble establishing the run, we that that, that just seems to be Fisher's, you know, Fisher's style. He's we have to have the run going, and I think some of Clemens' numbers have been from the, the fact that I mean that's chicken or the egg, but about the fact that our run game hasn't gone. But I do think that if they don't start Austin Davis, which they may just to try to, you know, mix things up a little bit. Mm-hmm. I think Clemens is, is capable of being pretty resourceful and, and pulling out a win, but it's it's been tricky finding, you know, Zach Stacy's been great, but it's been tricky getting a consistent ground game going. Well, weren't you there on the Monday night against Seattle where he came so very close to winning that game? No, I was there for uh, the uh, – uh, the, it was a day game. I'm completely spacing oh. who we were playing at the moment, but oh. but no, I wasn't there for that. Game. Oh, I thought that you were there for the brutal. Monday nighter. No, no, that was brutal though. <laughs> it went right down to the right down to the last one right there. Um, so yeah, that was that was rough. On the Modern Family set, you know, Stone Street has been yeah. on this show before, and he okay. is a chief fanatic. He's nuts yeah. about his Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, one guy that that I that apparently has played football. Ed O'Neill, is that a true story that he's played football? Are you aware that, that he's got that in his background? It is a true story, and he 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 made it a few weeks in the Steelers training camp. He, he to Ed's credit, he doesn't he doesn't portray that as you know like the coach didn't like me. He he, he says I, I just wasn't good enough to make the Steelers. <laughs> but um, 
Was that a Chuck but, Knoll uh, he, era Steelers? Is that when it was? Uh, yeah, it was Chuck Knoll. It was Chuck Knoll. He had the he had the uh, the um, the the honor of being let, of being cut by Chuck Knoll. <laughs> that's good. that's true. That is that is a great item to have on your resume, by the way. Right. <laughs> 1969, Rich. 69, he was cut by. So right when Chuck Knoll was a, a rookie, right? or he could say Chuck Knoll was a rookie head coach in 69 and just didn't know what he had in Ed O'Neill. You know what I mean? That's right. He did score four that's touchdowns right. in high school at Polk High. He scored four <laughs> touchdowns at Polk High. Yeah, that's true. He did do that. We know yeah. that. Who did? Uh, Al, Who did? Bundy did. Al Bundy scored Al four Bundy touchdowns did. at Polk High. Yes, apparently that was a big married Whoa. with children plot line that he scored four touchdowns at Polk High. But, oh, I see. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> yeah, he had that, that back great. in the day. But it just seems to me that that um, they could see. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. You're you good. Well, sometimes, occasionally, you know, Ed, you you can't really tell, but like there are times when Ed, well, you kind of bump into Ed, and and he doesn't move, and you do, and you you get a sense for probably how, he was. I think he was a pretty imposing guy in his time. Yeah, he he does look like the guy who could set his feet and and square his shoulders, put his hand in the dirt, yeah. and and really go after somebody. Yeah, yeah, plant his foot and 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 get rid of you. Well, it seems that you're having a blast doing what you do, Ty. I mean that that show that show is I can count on the number of one hand the number of network television shows that have made me laugh out loud maybe in the last quarter century, and Modern Family oh, makes wow. me laugh out loud pretty much every single time. Uh, every wow, segment. I mean, it's incredible. Crazy. No, it's it's hilarious. Uh, but it looks it looks like you're having a blast. Would that be a appropriate way to look at it? Yeah, it, yeah. I I I have no business being uh, this this lucky to be on a show <laughs> that uh, that has been just truly. I mean, I, I've never even had steady work, let alone <laughs> a job that I that I love so much, and uh, you know, has just been so fun and. and Every year, I, I'm kind of more blown away that the writers have kept up their consistency because they're they're working, they're genuinely working twice as hard as we are, and uh, I, I keep waiting for them to kind of just burn out or tell us all to um, get lost. But uh, they they really the reason if the show has consistency is because of them, and they're they're still kind of blowing blowing our minds. Well, the show is is hilarious. Uh, Wednesday nights on ABC at at nine Eastern, eight Central for all those in the Central Time Zone. Um, what, where 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 does Phil Dunphy go from here, Ty? I mean, where where does this character go? I I I sincerely hope he never uh, grows or learns anything. <laughs> just stay. He's just stay put. I I think that's best for everyone if he never improves or. Uh, you know, like, uh, you know, grows and has his character develop in any way. That's right. He's outkicked uh, his coverage with his wife. There's no question about that. So true. Right. <laughs> and, he's so got, true. and he's got his kids who just make him tear his hair out. But uh, And Fred Willard playing your dad, that's got to be a kick, too. Uh, it's a blast. Fred is, uh, I've worked with Fred on another show for a long time, and we most of our stuff was together. And Not that I had to push hard, but I, I was pushing for Fred to be to play my dad because to be completely honest, I've ripped off Fred in so many ways. <laughs> and uh, he's just, I think he's sometimes underrated as in terms of the influence he's had. Uh, uh, I just think he's one of the funniest people of, of my lifetime. And, 
and it's just been it's such a ball to go to when I on those days when I know he's going to be there. I just know it's going to be so much. Uh, I mean, It'll be, it's going to be hard for to keep, keep a straight face. Yeah, his 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 characters in um, in the Christopher Guest movies are yeah. off the charts. I mean, he is yeah. as good as anybody in those movies. Yeah, I mean, they're kind of supernatural. Like you, you, you feel like if you went back, you go, "Oh, he's you know, some of this is scripted or something." And and he, when you work with him, you even and you know, he's probably he's in his mid seventies now, but he still he comes up with stuff that is perfectly formed the minute it comes out of his mouth, like a ticker tape. Like it's just like he's. I don't know what it is, but he is a he is a joke machine, uh, and those movies are just they're timeless. Dan, if you think about Martin Mull is on a sitcom too on Tuesday nights, and then he appears on your show on Wednesday nights, and these guys have been doing it for God. ever. I mean, Fernwood tonight. Fernwood tonight. Wait, wait, yeah, Fernwood tonight. Yep. Right. Yeah, that was America way ahead of its time. Tonight? Was there a show America tonight? No, it's it. it well, their show was Fernwood tonight. And oh, there might have yeah. been like a real show that they that they ripped off uh, or were Maybe. sending up before it actually even got made uh, back in the day. That is right. Yeah, you're but working they, with some people. They, they, yeah, they've they've been at it forever. They're both just so funny. Well, Ty, like I said, your show is is great. Uh, I, I'm I'm thrilled to have you on. I, I you know, and I was talking about it, like I said, with with uh, Stone Street. One of the, Eric, one of the first times he came on, he's like, "You should get Ty on." So I'm glad that we can check this one off the list and uh, and get you back on and have you in studio at some point too. Oh yeah, uh, I'd love to actually. I, I really appreciate you having me on. I've, I've been a big fan for a long time. Thanks very much. I appreciate you saying that. And good luck to your Ducks in their bowl game. I guess they're taking on Texas yeah. against maybe no Mac Brown. He might be out. I know that's that's also a little bit of a trap game. I think. But, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'll keep my fingers crossed. Hey, no, Mariota's staying. Now everyone was putting like I know. You know, everyone was putting Mariota in the Philadelphia Eagles system, pretty much. But that that may not happen. Nick Nick Foles. Nick Foles breathed a huge sigh of relief at that news. Yes, that's true. The guy's six foot six, running a running a a Chip Kelly system in a way that nobody saw him doing. But so you'll have to you'll enjoy yeah. at least this way. Uh, the the Valero Alamo Bowl will not be Marcus Mariota's last game wearing whatever wacky uniform yeah. crazy Uncle Phil <laughs> outfits them in for this nationally televised bowl game. Yeah. It's true. It's true. <laughs> Ty, thanks again, man. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot. You bet. Talk That's to you, soon. you bet. Same here. That's Ty Burrell, the hilarious Phil Dunphy here on the Rich Eisen podcast. So there you go, everybody. Ty Burrell, another one from Modern Family. We got to get Ed O'Neill. Yeah, we still need Ed, Ed O'Neill. Some for of me, the, by I, the way, the writers on that show are big football fans too. I'd love to oh, get really? some of the writers. I was a big Married with Children fan, so me too. I, I would I love Ed O'Neill for me and Little Giants. He played Daniel Shea. The guy's got a football history. All right, we'll get Ed O'Neill. In. We'll put in the ask. Put in the ask for Ed as they say. So uh, that was fun. That was fun. Again, housekeeping. Friday show, Vince Gilligan, the creator of Breaking Bad, and we'll put our picks, we'll mention our picks for week 15 then. Yes. And we'll also review what happens on Thursday Night Football after Vince. That'll be the tail end, yeah. You cannot miss this show. Breaking Bad fans, again, spoiler alert, we talk about everything. But if you've already seen the show, and many of you already have. Must listen. It's, it, I, I, 
I have to say it is. Yeah. And I if think you, it's, it's definitive. I do Absolutely. think even if you haven't seen the show, by listening to this, you're going to want it. You're going to seek it out. I, I even, mean, we, I we mean, talk about some stuff. We talk about everything. But I mean, yeah. we talk about everything. There are some listen at your own risk, there. for sure. But, yeah, listen at your own risk. Sure. So we're saying that up front. Up front. Days in advance. Yes. And then uh, comes uh, uh, the following week's show, Dennis Miller, Joe Manganiello. We might add a guest or two there. The following week after that, Christmas week, uh, all four stars of Anchorman 2, Will Ferrell, Steve Carell, Paul Rudd, David Koechner, sitting down together at the league offices in New York. That's going to be on uh, 10.30 p.m. Eastern time on Christmas Eve on NFL Network, correct? Yeah, it's got a live lead-in. Um, there is a new a Football Life on. With Vince Lombardi, right? Vince Lombardi, 9 to 10, and then a, and then a Football Life after story live, and then, uh, and then the us. show airs. Yep, correct. Dude, you, gotta, you better cut that thing Can't up nice. Can't wait. It's going to be good. I got some yeah, ideas. Yeah, it's not, it's not like we're going to get any extra viewers off of a Vince Lombardi Football Life, for Seriously. crying out loud. The, uh, the good news is, too, you can set your DVRs. The show's going to actually re-air three times, oh, too. Oh, great. So it airs Christmas Day at 4.30 Eastern. Uh, the following day after Christmas at midnight, 9 a.m. I love those Pacific. midnight airings of yeah. the show. I love it. And then 4 p.m. on the 27th. Okay. Good stuff, guys. Do we have an international shout-out? We do. Nathan Redwood hits me up from across the pond and says, Hope I'm not too late for an international shout-out to Des- Deck Redwood and Amy Ski 321 who are getting married on Wednesday. Oh, wow. Huge nice. UK fans. Hashtag REP wedding. Just two R.E.P. Wedding. R.E.P. Wedding. We're one letter off from Red Wedding. <laughs> oh, hey now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't hit the D Uh-oh. on the R.E.P. Wedding. E- two other housekeeping. <laughs> go to richeisen.info.com. You don't want one of those weddings. No, you wow. don't. Uh, go to richeisen.info.com <laughs> to answer the poll question of uh, the Super Bowl poll question. And also, uh, we started back up. If you're out of your fantasy playoffs, we restarted the Rich Eisen ah. uh, Playoff Challenge League that you can sign up for. Uh, it's really fun. You Where once again, you choose everybody at the outset of the playoffs. Yes. And you get single points for them in week one and then double the points as they move on. It points double and then quadruple Triple. and whatever. Yeah, exactly. And um, it was fun last year. It was. Lot, we got our, some of our and the winner And the it. winner phones in. Winner phones in. Or theoretically, right? The theoretically. Winner, the, the, the winner last year. Some guy from uh, Germany who lost his window of opportunity to call in, right? Yeah, we, we, we called him. I talked to him. It worked. And then he big-timed us. He big-timed me uh, the day we called him in. But uh, he hit me up a few times back on uh, on DM. So yeah, you know, maybe we'll get him on again. I can't oh, wait no, to no. see Rich uh, shame another celebrity into taking all of their favorite players. Yeah, it was last year. <laughs> and it worked. And it worked for Josh and Charles. it worked. Josh, we got to get him back on. I know. After the big Ravens, wins. maybe we'll get him on. Uh, I'll get him on the horn for the the nineteenth, maybe. Okay, definitely. If he's up for that, is so, he ever out in L.A. to come in studio? No. He's good wifing. Yeah, he yeah. shoots in New York, so they they shoot all. Oh, but I did shame Josh Charles. I'm like, why are you such a big Ravens fan? Why don't you take Flacco and take take Bolden? Why don't you take all those guys? Take Tucker. Take the defense. Took them all. And they went to the they won the Super Bowl. <laughs> Flacco throws 11 touchdowns, no interceptions. Unbelievable. Oh man, I shamed him into taking him, and it then was. I shamed him for taking him. That's the best part about it all. The double shame that I had to. Sh- I shamed him into taking him, and then I shamed him by saying I had to shame him into taking him. Does that make sense? The double shame. But if you go to uh, NFL.com slash fantasy and you see the playoff challenge, uh, I think okay. our group is the second or third group there. You just click on Very that. Very well. At, uh, 
SI underscore Peter King. I want to thank him for joining the show. Is Ty Burrell on Twitter? I don't think he is. He's, He's not. not. No, nope. what a bummer. Phony uh, Ty Burrell account. Okay. I want to just thank Ty Burrell for phoning in. Then. For at Chris Law and at Chris Brockman, I'm at Rich Eisen for at the Eisen Podcast. Peace out. Stay listening, friends.